Hi, it's Nicole Brandon from Unlimited Life, and today we have a special and extraordinary show and a guest very different than a lot of the shows that I've brought to you through the years. Today we're talking with a personal hero and friend of mine, Paul Lazarus, who is a director, a filmmaker, but he's also somebody who has taken his gifts and his talents in filmmaking and created a movie movies that can change the world, that can change humanity and make a marked difference in people's lives and in the future of the planet, in the future of the way that we live and the future of actually having divine health, perfect health and societal and political shifts and changes that can create a oneness a peace and really save lives. So it's a profound subject. I met Paul and was privileged to meet Paul at a screening of this movie that we're going to talk about today, Slingshot. And I don't remember seeing a movie where I was changed inside during the process of the film. Something inside of me, all these little ahas kept clicking. And even though I was laughing, even though I was touched, even though I was a viewer of this film, Slingshot, I left the theater different than the person that came in and sat down. And that was the first and only time in my life that I became a changed being and a changed person in the course of watching a movie. Slingshot is about Dean Kamen the inventor, the entrepreneur, and Paul's journey to creating this film and multitudes of other films and projects that he's directed, his incredible talent that we know from television and film, his entertainment value and his genius and brilliance in cinematic viewing is just unmatched. But today, specifically, I would love to talk about this project that changed my lives and is changing the lives of people around the world. And so today, I welcome our very special guest, Paul Lazarus. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'm very flattered by your introduction. Uh, It's just, it was amazing. And so I guess my first question to ask you, I mean, you have such an unbelievable history and we'll talk about all of the shows you've directed and the movies that you've worked on and the theatrical projects, which are like huge magnitude. I was actually at that Stephen Sondheim birthday tribute. It's funny, as I was looking at your resume, I thought, gosh, that was one of my favorite moments. But I always love to ask my guests, the did you know factor when you were a little boy, when you were six and seven and eight and other boys wanted to be astronauts and firemen and whatever for the president of the United States, were you always creating and making projects like you are now? Did you have little kids in your neighborhood that you were directing in places and scenarios? And did you always have an idea that you wanted to share something with the world or your heart or your spirit or soul? Is that uh, in you as well? I, I would say, I would say no. I was a pretty typical little boy. I, I, Loved to swim and play football and baseball, and I was real sportif and uh, uh, spent most of my time uh, doing pretty, pretty average uh, things. But I, but I did um, have a little singing voice, and I, from a very early age, was singing all over the place. And uh, 
in, as early as junior high was playing Tom Sawyer in, in a little show about Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn and and uh, you know same thing in high school and so I guess I was always singing and singing was my way into storytelling and somewhere around college I became very disenchanted with standing up in front of people singing I loved to sing but I wasn't really keen on the performance aspect of that and once you fall out of love with applause and uh, being in front of people you really can't be a performer so people started saying well you really have a directorial eye or bent and somehow wandered into that and and I was very very lucky while I was in college I encountered a gentleman named Martin Best and his wife Sue Best who took me uh, over to England and got me an appointment with the Royal Shakespeare Company in England uh, and they somehow knew even then that I wasn't really a singer that I might be better off on the other side of the boards and they kept saying you're a director and you should spend time in the theater and you should come to England and see more theater and be with the Royal Shakespeare Company and I was incredibly blessed that they they actually followed up on that and made it happen for me and they have been lifelong friends and just having that year and a half with one of the truly great theatrical companies in the world uh, cemented my desire to be a director and a storyteller and, and frankly it's been way over 30 years since then and I've done pretty much nothing else so that that was my that was my trajectory Wow, that's incredible. And when I look at your resume, and it's interesting that you talk about the Royal Shakespeare Company, because you've worked on dramas like Pretty Little Liar, and then you have these comedies that are, it's like this incredible tapestry of Everybody Loves Raymond and Friends and Ugly Betty. And I think that that was the thing that struck me the most when I was watching yesterday, other than the subject matter and just the art of this incredible project and film that you've created, but the fact that you were able to take a subject matter that is basically a serious subject matter and something that has caused a great deal of pain in society today and a solution and an answer and a way out of that pain, but your sense of humor and your sensibility and your craft for storytelling I thought was unbelievable. I was so impressed. Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, it's. I think it's terribly important. We had seen, uh, as we began to work on this project about the world's water crisis, we, of course, and we being my team, which was pretty small, uh, we were very conscious of there were lots of projects about the world's water stresses and issues, and uh, we tried to go see a lot of them, and we noticed that there was always this kind of hammering effect. Uh, I, I, I call it the bag of nickels effect, that at the end of the movie I felt like someone had beaten me from head to toe with the bag of nickels. And, uh, and uh, the problem with being beaten with a bag of nickels is it does make you aware of a problem, but it kind of leaves you a bloody stump with nowhere to go. And, and I, I, an editor, a friend of mine, a great editor named Miranda Youssef, used the term learned helplessness with me once. And I said, um, we are not going to teach people to learn how to be helpless. That's not our goal. At the end of Slingshot, the ideal placement of the audience will be one of inspiration and hopefulness and empowerment to actually do something about the world's water crisis, not feel empty and, and disempowered and, and, and have nowhere to go. So the 
the goal became very conscious, very stated. We were very aware that we wanted people to walk out of the theater feeling like they could do something, like there was something to do, and that solution is better than moaning and pissing about a problem. The the idea is going towards solution instead of going towards helpless <laughs> was was a virtue to be pursued and and when you do that when when that becomes your goal then humor and storytelling dynamics and the the notion that people might want to actually watch your movie or listen to it instead of just be beaten up by it becomes paramount and then you start making a lot of decisions about you know it is a crisis it is it is terribly serious people are dying all over the world because of a lack of access to clean water, particularly kids, there's nothing more serious than that. But if you want people to do something about it, maybe it would be a good idea to have a little humor, and maybe it would be a good idea to have some dramatic tension, and maybe it would be a good idea to tell a story that people actually want to sit through. So it really guided me, and I, and I remember there was a, I think it was Jessica Wu who wrote a line about documentaries that the only things that should be in a documentary should be moments that either are beautiful, entertaining, funny, moving, touching. And, and, and we started judging, is this moment funny? Is this moment touching? Is this moment uh, in educational, uh, but, but educational in a way that doesn't bore us? And so if the moment in the movie didn't do any of that, it didn't stay in the movie. And that became a kind of rule, like if it's not beautiful, if it's not funny, if it doesn't make us understand something, if it doesn't move us emotionally, what's it doing in the movie? And it's interesting because that's a really tough test because when you have to be one of those things, you can't be dull, you can't be, uh, you can't be uninspiring. And, and, and by f- adhering to those rules, it, by the way, when you adhere to those rules, it becomes really time-consuming because that means a moment that isn't good enough isn't good enough. So then you have to keep going. And that's, that's why it took us seven years <laughs> to make the movie. It's an incredible process. And it, it, the movie goes by so quickly. I mean, I couldn't believe it was over. It was like, wow. And because of the inventions, and I would love you to share a little bit about the movie and the creation of the movie and your star of the movie, this phenomenal, incredible man. And um, But I felt at part like I was watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It was so entertaining. <laughs> you know, I kept waiting for them to burst into song. And at the same time, it it literally cradled my heart. And we've not had an opportunity to have this conversation yet, but you know that I was knighted two years ago. Yeah. And the minute that I was knighted, Thank you. The minute I was knighted, people kept trying to give me money. It was very interesting. People would stop me at parties and say, what are you working on? Here, let me write you a check and give you some money for it. And, and that was a very new scenario from being in the entertainment business where you're looking for money and looking for funding to have people trying to throw money at you, saying, whatever you're working on, we want to help. And what I did was I took several weeks, maybe several months actually of my life, and I would watch videos for hours and hours until two, three, four, five o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep until I had seen the last video on that last little drop of me was exhausted at some of the world's crises to see where my heart was tugged and where I wanted to put my focus. 
because there's so many. I mean, I, I've helped so many organizations, which is how I ended up where I was. But now that I have these doorways open in these embassies and in these worlds, what was the strongest draw for me? And I decided to pick two of all of the things that I was looking at. And one was child slavery, all the kids, these six- and seven-year-old girls that are being sold and, you know, and, and the children today that we don't even realize. And the other focus that I chose was water and the water crisis. So for the past few years, this has actually been something I've been researching and been talking to people worldwide and opening doorways. So to see your movie and the subject and the way that you shared this information just felt like love was being poured into my heart. And so I just wanted to share that with you, and I really will do everything I can to help you in this endeavor. So. Well, thank you. And I'm so, I'm so pleased to hear you even describe your journey towards water. I, it Sadly, and, and I think particularly in, in America where we are, um, there's just this incredible lack of awareness about what's really going on in the world because we've had it so good and so we take it for granted. We we all, well, most of us walk to our sinks and turn on a tap and out comes flow, flowing, you know, flowing clean pure water, you know, as clean as it can be. And we're so used to that that it can't even really dent our mindsets that all over the world people are struggling to get that very simple thing, just a clean glass of water. And I, I've been lucky because I'm, 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 I'll lump myself into that, that big group of people taking it for granted. And But to go to Ghana or almost anywhere where there's not clean morning water and see what's really going on is so eye-opening. And it just changes you because you, you just can't brush your teeth or have your... I have an eight-year-old daughter and you know, we asked her to brush her teeth, and the faucet's on, and I'm looking at it, and I'm going, oh, and it's all I can do just not to reach out and turn it off because I just can't stand to see the water being wasted on any level, even at that tiny, tiny individual level. And it's interesting because my little 8-year-old daughter has picked up on my feeling about it, not because I've beaten her up about it, but just because I just can't handle it. And so now she reaches out and closes the water off, shuts the water off, because I think she understands that there's something tied to that bigger than herself. And what saddens me is that we're we're living in a country where we're still blithely, uh, we're just oblivious to what's going on, I think. It it won't take long before the world's water issues descend on us and and it hits us at home. But I'm delighted to hear you say that that you have identified that as one of your two primary focuses. Yes, there's so much to choose, there's so many ills to correct. And I, you know, one of the things that really jazzed me about yesterday, which you saw, and the screening was when the the 20-year-old um, woman raised her hand and said, "You know, this is this is a movie for my generation. We want to fix it." And I thought to myself, "You know, that's what it is. This group they call the millennials." Um, the post post college age group i think they have realized what their the previous generations have done to them in a really big way and and i think rather than sit back they want to fix it like that i if i had to give that generation a motto it's we can fix this and our generation unfortunately we broke it <laughs> you know and we're pretty guilty or i should say i'm pretty guilty uh, of having broken it um, without having the foresight. 
but this generation coming up seems to be all about we can fix this. And that's pretty up. That gives me hope. Absolutely. I have a friend of mine who has an 11 year old son, and his son is determined to find a cure for cancer at 11 years old. And he just went to an integrative medical conference. And knowing that he was going to an integrative med- you know, medical conference, I posted on my Facebook and on Angel Academy and the Transformation Leadership Council and a lot of the organizations that I'm part of that I had a friend who had an 11-year-old son who's determined to find a cure for cancer and he was going to be at this integrative medical conference. And if anybody was going, all of the healers out there and the alternative medicine practitioners out there, or if anybody knew someone who was going who had time for an 11-year-old, pleased to let me know so I could arrange time for him to talk to me. And so many people reached out to help this 11-year-old child. And so, but this kid is determined to find a cure. How oh, great. That's great. Yeah. And I loved the little boy yesterday that asked you what he was like, nine years old? Yeah. Maybe I, nine or ten that was asking you about he wanted to host it in his school? Yeah. And he said, I'm going to host it in my school. And I, I, I just loved that that kind of youthful, um, you know, just optimism and, and dedication is really soul-filling and, and, and lovely to see. And luckily, um, and I appreciate your comment, uh, luckily the movie seems to get that response, which is great because it's clearly about a very, very serious problem. But the response is, um, let's fix this, not give up. Right. And so how did you go from, I mean, when I look at your bio, it's amazing to me. First, it makes me laugh. It makes me smile. It enchants me because everything you'd want to do from Stephen Sondheim's birthday to Everybody Loves Raymond and Friends to Pretty Little Liars, you know, one of my favorite shows and the films that you've created. And, I mean, you have just created this incredible world of entertainment and joy and laughter and heartfelt stories. And what made you step into this world? Um, well, uh, you know, the, the, I don't know exactly how to answer that. Uh, I've been, you know, you've kind of, you don't do a lot of things by choice. You bump into things. I, I, I like what I bumped into in my life. And, you know, I think that, uh, what's that incredible line about, uh, uh, luck is actually opportunity meets preparation, and uh, uh, I kind of believe in that. I think that I have done my homework and done a lot of hard work to to learn how to do what I do, and then I've just uh, doors have opened that uh, for me that have been really wonderful and and, and lucky, and uh, and uh, and luckily I've been ready to handle them. But I think that I like to find the humor in the drama. And I like to find the drama and the humor. And uh, there's something about mixing the two that seems to appeal to most people that when you're doing Friends, you know, ostensibly a comedy, I think I try to find the underpinnings of the seriousness in it. Uh, Everybody loves them and the same thing. When you're doing Pretty Little Liars, you know, which is very much a dramatic kind of crazy piece, I like to find the humor. And uh, with Slingshot, which is obviously a very serious topic, uh, could not be more serious, I tried to find where there was glimmers of fun. And uh, that's why you have someone as serious as, as Dean Kamen, the inventor who we haven't even talked about yet, uh, who's the center of this movie. 
um, he like <laughs> he he's on this possibly 15-plus-year quest to clean up the world's water supply. Along the way, when they're working hard on their machines, they tell jokes to each other because you've got to. How do you keep going? And one of the things that happened in the course of filming the movie was I asked him to describe an early machine, a machine from 2006. And here was this incredible genius eccentric inventor lifting off the cover of his 2006 prototype to a device that cleans the world's water. It can basically take any form of terribly contaminated water and turn it into clean, safe, potable water. So he lifts off the cover, and he's there with his fellow engineer, Jim Scott. And I say, you know, I don't really need the audio. Just Could you guys just talk about it and point at various things? Because it'll be a picture that we'll use to illustrate this, this early version of the machine. And they start talking. And, I, and he says, so you don't need the audio. This is Dean Kamen. So you don't need the audio. And I said, no, no, we don't need the audio. Just talk about whatever you want. He lifts off the case, and they start doing this Abbott and Costello routine about, you know, this part is made entirely of expensium. And, yeah, where's the unobtainium in this piece? And Dean says, yeah, and this part is made in entirely of unobtainium. And here's where the unreliabilium is, and uh, this is exactly where I can't make two of them. They do this, literally, it's a routine. It's, like, it's not, not far from Abbott and Costello. And this is inventor Dean Kamen and his associate Jim Scott. And, and I listen to this and I go, oh, my God, that's going in the movie. <laughs> and I just said to him, we don't need the audio. But they turned this absolutely mundane moment into this hysterical comedy routine that any engineer in the world would understand. Because when you're spending 15 years of your life reiterating the design of a machine, you start to make jokes like, well, this is expensium and this is unobtainium, because that's the kinds of battles that you really fight. It's too expensive, it's difficult to find, it's unreliable, it's going to break down, and, and you can't recreate it, and I can't make two of them. But the engineer and the, the comedian and Dean turns it into... Expensium, unobtainium, unreliability, and un I can't make do it. And you know, I mean, I like to think that I'm good at this, and and that's that's why the movie is uh, you know sh painless to watch and hopefully moves you. But it's partially engendering these moments and knowing to use them um, because they they convey a very serious, difficult process through humor. Wow. Well, I, I mean, I absolutely loved it. And before we talk about Dean, I would love to talk about the opening and closing lines in the movie. Yeah, well, the the the, the line is uh, Dean Kamen, who has a p very peculiar and distinctive way of speaking, uses phrases like "this ought to hurt your brain." And when he says "this ought to hurt your brain," what he's really saying is you should really pay attention to this because it's incredibly important. So he says "this ought to hurt your brain." We could get rid of half, 50% of the world's illness by just giving people clean water. And when he said that, I said, my God, it could not be clear. Half of the world's illness, in the, in the West we go Alzheimer's and cancer and heart disease and appendicitis and all the things that people die of, and they're very serious in the West. That adds up to 50%. The entire rest of the planet are dealing with waterborne pathogens and diseases that derive from contaminated water. It's a staggering, staggering fact. 
50% of the world's illness is directly related to bad water. So if you clean water, you can get rid of 50% of the world's illness. And that's so, you know, when you think about that and the, the incredible profundity of that simple statement and what clean water means, and by the way, that when I say clean water and when I say 50%, I'm talking about cholera and dysentery and all the things that come out of drinking and, and experiencing bad water and Borrelia ulcer and all the awful, awful cryptosporidae and, and all these things I don't even know how to pronounce. Um, all bad water. So we, I just felt that that line was so important that it was worth starting and ending the movie. Oh, I just thought it was an amazing number. And it's something I wanted to hear again because I wanted to get it in my brain. And so the fact that you're able to share that again and close with that, you leave with that in your mind, in your consciousness, in your spirit, in your soul, in your heart. And then you want to walk out and you want to tell everybody that you come across. There's a possibility. There's a way to be able to help, to be able to heal. And this is all we need to do. And it's possible. And so I, I was just absolutely blown away by that and love that. And uh, and then as you talk about the sense of humor and Dean's sense of humor and his ingenious, it's interesting because without even knowing it was Dean, through the years and years I have blogged about his products and his materials and the, and the wheelchairs because I've worked with so many people in the Special Olympics and Parkinson's and polio and and a lot of his creations and inventions I've actually posted and passed on for years not even knowing they were his. And when I watched yeah. the movie, I was like, wow! It's, it's, it's staggering how many things he's done in his life. You know, I mean, he makes he makes all of us sort of, or it makes me feel like, well, what did I do today? Um, uh, or what did I do this year? <laughs> Because uh, he's getting so much done so quickly and and so dedicatedly, he's he's a he's a force of nature, Dean. I mean, there's there's not many people like him. Uh, he just relentlessly pursues things that give people a better shot. You know, whether it's I bought wheelchairs that can climb stairs, or prosthetic arms for veterans who come back missing a limb, or insulin pumps for people with diabetes, or Kidney, dial, you know, kidney dialysis technology that makes you be able to do it at home instead of in a clinic, and the 400 plus patents that the man has, and and uh, all of them, or most of them, I should say, a great many of them, for things that make people's lives a little better, and uh, it's a pretty remarkable, <laughs> it's a pretty remarkable man, and and that's that's why I felt he could be the subject of a movie, and he could... Um, a lot of people kept criticizing me for, like, why why don't you have anybody else's voice in the movie? And I kept thinking, but, but who else would you want to listen to if you have a chance to spend 90 minutes with Dean Kamen? It, it's, I, I, I never doubted that he was worth <clears throat> 90 minutes of your time. You know? and, and people would always say to me, well, you can't do a movie with just one voice. And I thought, well, why not? And then... Wasn't that the movie that they called in, An Inconvenient Truth? Wasn't Al Gore the only voice in that? That movie did terribly and, um, and, and did no good in the world. You know, so I thought, why, why do people keep saying to me that, that it can't just be Dean Kamen? I don't know anybody more interesting. So 
I kind of stuck with it, and and now people don't say that to me, but for years and years and years making this movie, all I heard was, well, you you clearly got to have other people in the movie. I thought, no, I don't think so. (laughs) So so perfect. Now, did you find Dean, did you approach him and say, I want to make a movie on you and your life, or did, did you happen to meet him and say, gosh, this would be a wonderful story? What came first? Um, I'm lucky, again, that I have a very lengthy uh, relationship with Dean that pre-existed and and was before this movie. He had asked me, I met him in the early 80s, uh, through my father, actually, and he had asked me to continually make little videos for him uh, about his first robotics, which is uh, his organization that gets kids excited about science and technology through a robotics competition. I probably made, you know, a dozen or so short movies about that. And I, he asked me to make little movies about his Segway device, which was then called Ginger in the uh, you know late 90s, early 2000s. And we just made all of these projects. And, and then what happened was in about 2006, he told me about his work with water. And I just thought it was the biggest thing that he was ever touching, and it dwarfed a lot of the populations he was reaching with his medical devices, and you know by uh, you know a comparison of billions to millions. And I said, you know, this sounds like a story that's worth telling in movie form. Could I turn the camera on now and get some of your time to talk about this and visualize it? Because I want to, I want the world to understand what it's like to go from an idea in your head to reality, because it, it, it always seems so easy. We look at the iPhone now, and we, we don't even remember that huge brick that we used to carry in the 80s. Nobody remembers how cell phones started when you have the iPhone in your hand. But the cell phone didn't, become an, didn't start out as an iPhone. The cell phone started out as this really ridiculous, huge... We, 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 it's, it, it's, a, it's done as a joke in movies now that people hold them. But that was what the cell phone started out. Well, guess what? The slingshot is the brick, not the iPhone. It's, it's in a place where I would compare it with the beginning of the cell phone story. So just think about how far it can go from what you saw in the movie yesterday. It's breathtaking. You know, there'll, there'll be solar-powered slingshots, and there'll be biomass operated slingshots and it will get smaller and more efficient and and do even more good if it gets supported and um you know disseminated throughout the world it, it will become an amazing amazing story i feel like we're at the beginning of it not the end so, so i mean i remember when we still had yes good no so to answer your question i i, I just asked him I knew him, and I asked him, and I said, uh, you know, can we? And luckily, he said yes, but, but I don't think either one of us had any idea how long uh, it would take <laughs> to make the movie. Wow. Yeah, I just remember watching the movie, and his attitude towards you was such ease and such graciousness and such desire to be a co-creator in this process in getting this information out and that to me was just so delightful to see it was yeah that that, that's the way i felt um in making it and uh you know he's a he's a very interesting 
man in, in every respect. I mean, he's just so driven and so passionate and so, you know, his mind is so brilliant. And, and what I've always admired about him is that he looks at things, the same things we all do, but what he sees, just so, he sees it so differently. He sees people struggling with kidney dialysis and having to go to clinics and using these antiquated, unsafe, unsanitary machines. And he thinks, well, but, well this, is not, this technology is not really addressing the problem. The problem is this person doesn't have a working kidney. How do I fix that? And how do I make it be something that's sustainable? Wouldn't it be better if instead of having to go to a clinic, they could just plug in to a little machine next to their bed and do it while they're sleeping? And wouldn't it be better if it was um, sanitary? And wouldn't it be better? <laughs> and, and then does all of that. And, and so he's asking, because I believe when he was first approached about dialysis, he was approached by the company that was leading the world in the, in the technology called Baxter. And they basically said, can you help make our machine better? And what Dean does is he looked at their machine. This is all in the movie. Um, he looked at their machine and decided, this really isn't the right machine. So I could fix their machine, but that's not interesting. Why don't I just redo the entire technology? And does, and it's a it's as he says, and I'm quoting, it's a different approach to the problem. Well, the slingshot is a different approach to the water problem, and I think if it could get out there in a very large way, it could it could absolutely alter the way people think of how to clean water. We I think we mostly think about how to clean water in very large terms, big municipal plants, you know ship the pump the water that's dirty to this big plant it cleans the water and then through a system of pipes it gets spread out to all the people who need it well that's lovely if you're in los angeles it doesn't work so well in accra ghana um they're just and that's the capital of ghana it, 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 they're not going to do it they're not going to ship the water out to adieso and and Pakro, Ghana, you know, which are only 90 minutes away, uh, not that far. They're not going to build the pipe systems that don't exist. They're not going to create the infrastructure that doesn't exist. So, so how do you help these people who are in remote villages all over the world who have no access to clean water? And that's what Dean came up with. He came up with a way to bring a point of use, you know, bottoms-up solution right to where it's needed. That's pretty breathtaking to me. It's amazing. It's it is. It's absolutely astounding. And so, for those that are listening from around the world right now, and we have people listening in from South Africa and from Malta and from Honduras. I mean, it's amazing the listenership that we have on this show. And I'm so grateful for all of you that are here and desiring and wanting to create and live and lead an unlimited life and a different life for the planet and for the world. And so for those that have not had the opportunity yet to see the film, can you share a little bit about what the actual problem is, the water problem, and then what the idea that Dean has come up with to be able to be able to shift that? Yeah, I mean, there's several different ways to describe the water problem, but I'll just take as an example... Um, one village in Ghana, because that's so. You have, let's say, um, a village of of 2,000 people, which is the town of. It's actually a township of Adiso, Ghana. 
and they have a river. It's the Densu River, and it runs through the town. But that that river, and they have no, they have virtually no other source of water. They have a little bit of municipal water, but it's, n- it's completely unreliable. It was when it was described to me, they would show me the tap, and I would say, and they would turn the tap on. It wasn't working. I would say, why isn't it working? And the family would say, well, maybe once a week it works. We don't even know when. We just try it every day, and if it works, it works. And we're not 100% sure that the water coming out of that tap is is entirely clean. But that's our municipal water. Otherwise, we have to go to the river, the river Densu, scoop up a bucket of water, walk back the maybe mile to our house, and deal with what that water is. Now, we don't know what's in the water. We don't have any way of testing it. So we let the we let the biomass drop down to the bottom overnight. Then we filter, we we get rid of that sediment, and then we boil the water, hoping that we kill everything else. And maybe if we're lucky, we even have chlorine to put in the water to kill whatever else might be in it. And then we use that water for everything. We use that water for drinking, cooking, washing, and we hope that we've killed everything bad in it. That's a typical condition of a, for a lot of people, and that's good. That's having it good. That means there is water to get. Imagine the, the other people can't even get that water from the River Densu, you know, and there's lots of places in the world, India and Asia spring to mind immediately, where they can't even find the water, let alone bad water. So, so what Dean has done and, and what I admire in his slingshot technology is that most people don't have an ologist, and, and I'm being slightly facetious when I say don't have an ologist, means they don't have a scientist that can test the water from the river, figure out that it has cholera in it, and kill the cholera before people drink it. That person doesn't exist. The other person doesn't exist is that after the family cleans the water, they don't have anybody to test to see if they've gotten rid of everything. So they don't have either one of those things. We in America, in the West chances are somebody is testing the water before it goes into that municipal plant, and somebody for sure is testing the water after it goes through all the processes to clean it. In fact, it won't go to our tap unless it achieves this scientific standard that we are aware of, you know, the, the standard for how many whatever bad stuff is in the water. It's not, we're not going to drink it until somebody's tested it in, in ideal terms. But most of the world doesn't have this. So what Dean has done with the slingshot, so that, that was my attempt at describing bad water conditions all over the world, which, you know, it would take me a, the entire program just to answer that question. But so what Dean has done with his slingshot is that you don't need an ologist on either end. You put any form of bad water into the machine, and the machine through a super high-powered distillation process, vapor compression distiller. The machine using that process and recycling the energy so it uses very little energy basically takes any form of contaminated water. It gets superheated into a kind of vapor, then reconstituted as pure water. All the bad stuff has fallen out. All the bad stuff runs out. You know, it can run back into the water source. or it can, It's so microscopic and small, it can actually be put back on the ground in the form of slurry because it's so incredibly microscopically small. So then out of the box 
what you're drinking is pure distilled. It's actually injectable-grade water because Dean first invented it to supply water for his dialysis machines. So the quality of the water is higher rated than normal potable water. It's cleaner than potable water. So then now you have this distilled water that you can drink, you can bathe in, you can cook with, and it's utterly safe. You know, people, by the way, people get confused about distilled water. There was some research done in the 70s, late 60s, that said it was harmful to to drink too much distilled water. That research was, A, not really based in fact. It wasn't really well-researched. There's no truth at all to the idea that, that drinking a lot of distilled water can harm you. And, oh, by the way, if you really need to add mineral content, the one thing that we've gotten very good at in the world is adding stuff to water i.e. soda. I mean, we are, we are really good at making things out of water. Uh, we're not so good at taking things out of water, but putting stuff in, really easy. So let's say down the road you wanted to add something to this distilled water. That would That's really almost painlessly simple. So um, you can add mineral content. You can do all sorts of that stuff. The machine isn't quite there yet. But so... What he's done is in some respects, and I I don't like using the word magic bullet because it it conveys too much ease, but what he has done is created a solution whereby most people can put in most water, well, actually any form of water, and, and most people get out of it water that's safe. Well, that's magical because almost no other form of water remediation is 100% certain that you don't need to test it before or after. With the slingshot, that is the case. So it's such a great solution, particularly for remote villages that have no access to running clean water. There's lots of other solutions that I love. Uh, We're going to need. We need them already. Desalinization is a big one, and big urban centers are going to need desalinization. There's a lot of great research being done on that in Israel. We're going to need to recycle our water like they do in Singapore already. Uh, if you want to learn about recycling water, study what's going on in Singapore. It's, it's amazing. They are virtually a city where every drop of shower water, dishwater water, toilet water, um, washing machine water is going from this very dense, in this very dense environment. It's going straight from your apartment or your house to the plant where it gets cleaned properly, tested properly, and straight back to your kitchen or your shower. And, you know, that's what we need. We need every major city in the world to stop throwing away water and and recycle it. Because you can, you know, why do we have to have potable water in our toilets? Somebody should explain that to me. <laughs> like... Think about it. So the the water that can sustain life is the water that we are using for our bodily functions. It's just, if you thought about it for a second, it would make you crazy. Right. Well, it's so funny because I always think the toilet seat covers, you know, that they have the center paper that people punch out, and you think, and we have paper shortage or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Well, we 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 have so many weird concepts, you know. And and I remember, maybe you remember. Do you remember when there was this? Um, I'm trying to remember when it was. It's less than ten years ago. There was this hue and cry 
from the San Diego area about the notion of tap a uh, toilet to tap. It lit, the bill became known as the toilet to tap bill, and the concept was we're going to take toilet water and we're going to clean it up and through a plant, a proper plant, and bring it back to your kitchen where you could drink it. And there was such controversy about that. And to me, it's almost become, it's certainly ironic, and it's almost laughable. We are so headed in that direction, it's not funny. It, and it won't be a choice anymore. It'll be a necessity. And, or we'll pay $25 a gallon for water, and I'm really making that number up, but you know what I mean. Because in order to have enough water to all the things that we need, particularly with the amount of water that we use, um, the idea of just recycling in urban centers is such a good one, and Singapore is such a great model. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot getting, there's a lot being done, but um, not a lot of awareness yet, which is why I'm trying to get the movie to so many people, because I think once you've seen the movie, you really can't escape these issues. Okay, so then that brings me to my next question. How can people see the movie? How can they get a copy of it, get a hold of it, bring it to their schools, their universities, their businesses, their organizations, their local theaters? Because it really is something that everyone should see. On every level, everyone can see. And there's something that everyone can do. You know, like right. you're saying, if it's that you shut the water when you brush your teeth, if it's that you send out an email, if it's the fact that you know an organization, just like this little boy last night, I will have a screening in my school. Right. And uh, that, or this 20-year-old who said, you know, uh, young people today, we want to watch documentaries, we want to make a difference, we want to learn, and can we get this on Netflix, and can we? So what is the very best way for people to see the film and to get involved? Well, thank you. Um, that's so important to us. Uh, it's why we've put seven years into the making of this. And I, I really do believe that change uh, grows out of awareness. I, I don't believe that anybody really changes on, before they have at least a threshold level of awareness of what's going on. Well, our intent with the movie was to get to a threshold awareness about water very, very quickly and hopefully very entertainingly. And uh, which is not to say that it's silly, it's to say that it's enjoyable to watch, which why, why, why shouldn't it be enjoyable to watch? Why, why should it be painful to watch? Um, and what people can do now, we, we are struggling and we are in the process of creating the ways that, that the entire world can see the movie. And, and I think we're doing pretty well. And that takes a little bit of time. You, you don't snap your fingers and just deliver a story to billions and billions of people. But... The good news is by November, and, and that seems so far off to me, but it's really not. It's pretty close. But by November, the movie will be available in 15 languages on Netflix. Now, what I hope is that that will be the moment where millions upon millions of people see it, and and in and in their own language, you know, whether it's French, Spanish, whatever, um, and so. By November 1st, that will occur. In the, in the meantime, we want to get, um, and, and that, that doesn't seem so far off, but for me it seems like a lifetime. Um, in the meantime, you can come to our website, which is, if, if you don't mind, I'll tell, it's www.slingshot, no, just like it sounds, S-L-I-N-G, 
S-H-O-T, doc, for documentaries. So slingshotdoc.com, slingshotdoc.com. If you go to our website and you're really enthusiastic about what you see and you want to sponsor a screening, we've set up all sorts of ways to do that. And you literally can click on a button that says host a screening. And you click on that button and it will connect you with our outreach team and they will get back to you, you know, in a very short while. And you can show the movie in your high school, in your college, into your water group, to your yoga class. It doesn't, you know, we want you to show it anywhere. And we tried to create a, a system where that will occur. So the first, the step right now is via our website. Again, www.slingshotdoc.com. And it will guide you to how you can do it. So in the interim... That's what you can do. The, but the, the other thing is, because we care a great deal about this movie being seen by a lot of people, we're actually self-financing a, a, a limited form of distribution because we believe that you don't want to go see a movie called Slingshot unless you at least have heard about it or seen something about it. And the way to do that traditionally is to have it play in various cities, um, even in a small way, and, and get some press from the papers and so starting in july uh depending on where you are you may see an advertisement or or a mention that says slingshots coming to your town and and i would be grateful and i if you care about this subject please come see it then you know bring a friend bring your entire bring your entire army of supporters and come see the movie because that will mean that will mean a great deal to getting the story out that's amazing. And then, as we were talking last night, can you first share with people what slingshot is? <laughs> How it came to be slingshot? Because I think that's oh, the, the actual well. name. Like, you what mean, is yeah. slingshot? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's it's funny. On some level, it's sort of obvious, but then on another level, it isn't obvious at all. So, take the David and Goliath story. And. Dean came and the inventor thinks there's a lot of Davids all over the world and they're battling this giant Goliath that's bad water. And they don't have a lot of ways to defeat this giant. But if we remember the story, little David went up against gigantic Goliath and he had this little thing called a slingshot. And that little piece of technology allowed David to defeat the giant of bad water Goliath. And Dean came and I think called his device Slingshot because he's hoping this little machine, this little technology, this incredible invention is going to help the world defeat this giant Goliath cult that we know as bad water. And, and that, that's what the, the name comes from. That's incredible. I was watching the kids drinking the water in the movie and that juxtaposition of all of the children whose lives have been lost simply because they didn't have clean water to drink. And it's such an incredible solution and an elating solution and a thriving solution and one that offers so much hope and potential and possibility and sustainable life and sustainable living all over the world. I mean, it it truly is a treasure and a gift to the planet. Yeah, I think so. And and, uh, it's... That notion, what you just said, has really kept me going and my team going through some very challenging times in the making of this project. But 
ultimately, if you think about that one child that dies because they drink really filthy water because they have nothing else, they, they, the only form of water they have is the kind of water you wouldn't give to your dog, uh, and that's all their choice. And then that child contracts cholera or something worse and dies. And, you know, if we can prevent the two-point-whatever-million kids that are dying each year just because of water, just because of not having clean water, uh, then all the time that's gone into the making of this movie, all the effort, all the people who have been involved who have sacrificed, you know, not made very much money in the making of it, uh, made very poor salaries, uh, I think it will all have been worth it. Absolutely. And then for all of you who are listening out there that are individuals that know anybody that's working on the water crisis or any major organization who is aligned with this cause and making a difference, it's so easy just to go, as Paul said, to the website and to host a screening. And that's the greatest gift you can give. You know what's interesting, Nicole, to me um, is that... um, it's not. Uh, I, this this has given me a, a broader perspective on a crisis, uh, because the movie is terrific, and I, and I couldn't you know be more proud of it, and I want everybody to see it. But what I'm really excited about, fundamentally, is that, and this is a change that's happened to me, is that it's just so important that we all be aware of the problem that I don't even care if, it's the, if my movie is the vehicle. If, if all my movie does, even just this radio program, is make you a little more aware of the, the world's water challenges, and you do anything to improve your awareness or get involved in any way, I, I will be incredibly happy because ultimately it's such a vast and challenging problem that we're going to need the slingshot solutions and the desalinization solutions and the water straw, the Lifesaver water straw, and the chlorine packets that are made that are called pure and the endless other solutions. We need them all. So if my movie can be a fulcrum for just the notion of, 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 a, of, of the idea that we can fix this, I'm really happy. Hmm. Just absolutely brilliant, beautiful. And you work, and it's funny, when I was thinking about Stephen Sondheim's birthday and I was thinking about all of, like when you said, as a little boy, I sang. I had a, I had a little voice. And when you were a little boy, you had a little voice, and now you have a huge voice because you have a voice for the planet and you have a voice for the world. And you've been able to take some of the top music in the world and, and musicians and, and vocal talents and that vibration of light and love and that we're all a community and we're all one and every step that you take is your little voice getting stronger and stronger and stronger mm-hmm. and sharing with the world and, and you are such a gift, Paul. I mean, you truly are. What an astounding man and I'm so glad our paths have crossed and I truly want to help you in any way I can be able to get this out there and on your journey because it's a, a brave, bold journey and you really have opened the doors for life and life like we've never known it before, and I'm so grateful for you for that. Oh, thank you so much. I, that's that's such a that that's a no one has ever um, tied my singing voice <laughs> to my voice as a storyteller, and I, that is such a beautiful image. I, I I I take that away more than anything else of this call. I really appreciate that. It's uh, 
yeah, it's, it's singing is a really joyful act and, and, and one that, that almost can't harm anybody, unless I guess it's your, your, your really bad pitch. But, um, but uh, the idea that, uh, <laughs> the idea that um, there's a voice uh, in this movie um, that really pleases me, and the voice is saying, wake up, we can fix it. But wake up first. And then we can fix it. And together we can fix it. And, and uh, there's a lot of voices out there that keep saying it's so bad we can't fix it. Well, if that's the case, then we, I guess we all have to give up because if we can't fix it, what's left? I don't believe that. I, I, I believe that human beings are incredibly ingenious. And, and, uh, and then you take Dean Kamen, who's in a world-class innovator. <laughs> you know, this is a guy who... Everything he touches is innovation. Well, you know, well, thank God we have people like him leading the charge because you get behind some ideas like Dean Kamen has. You can suddenly give people who can't walk anymore dignity because they can look you in the eye because they're on a, on a wheelchair that he invented. And you can give people back limbs that they lost doing some horrible fighting for some horrible reason in another country. And... Uh, and maybe you can give people clean water. Just mm. beautiful. Well, slingshotdoc.com to get involved, to host a screening. And as we wrap up the show, I always love to ask people, since the show is Unlimited Life, what does leading an unlimited life mean to you? Um, doing things that make you happy, and uh, not necessarily that don't require a lot of effort, but doing things that make you happy and uh, spreading it around, that happiness. Mm -hmm. That's fabulous. And for all of you who are out there, if you would like to get a copy of today's show, if you have been diligently writing down notes and everything that Paul has been sharing and saying and his wisdom, his knowledge, his heart, his spirit, his soul, the slingshot, his film history and his voice on the planet and the world, it's easy. Just pick up your phone and send a text message to 55678. just 55678. And the message is Nicole. And you can download a copy of today's show right into your phone or mobile device and listen to it, listen to it often, and listen to the calling of your heart. Step forward because this is really a movie and this is really an invention that can change the planet and change the world. So, Paul, thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to having you back with us again. Oh, I thank you. Thank you for including us, and I'm thank you for coming to see the movie, and uh, it's time to change. That's become my watch cry. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> well, it's, it's a wonderful uh, cry. Yeah, it's time to change. There, there's no reason not to. Mm-hmm. Well, thank Thanks you, a lot. And, and you're welcome. What a joy to have you with us today. That was such a remarkable show and such incredible information. I feel so gifted and so blessed to be doing this show and to be able to bring to you people who are creating such incredible evolutionary shifts around the planet and around the world. And today's guest, Paul Lazarus, is truly a champion and a hero in the cinematic journey and filmmaking as a director and certainly as a humanitarian and somebody who has an outreach around the world that is touching and changing lives. So I thank you for being with us today. Go see Slingshot. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Download it. Look for it. Find it. It can change your life. And I look forward to seeing you 
on our other podcast. Join us here next week. Join us on Dream Life Secrets. And we can't wait to have you back. And I'm wishing you an unlimited life.